Welcome again, fight fans, to episode number 172 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And if you look at the May issue here of Boxing Monthly Magazine, who do you see on there? The monster, the Ilya Inoue, who had, in my opinion, the performance of the weekend. Didn't quite get the KO of the weekend, but absolutely the best, most important performance of the weekend Gail Falkenthal, this show is going to be a monster. That's right, it is. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of uh, news and notes to discuss, guys, but uh, we do have some stuff to talk about. So I'm going to uh, get right into it here. Um, make sure some of you guys can get in here to the chat, get your questions to me. I got them. I'm checking uh, periodically. And uh, since there isn't a whole lot of news and notes, I'll probably do some more, uh, some more questions today. Anyway. This is TNC 172 for the week of May 18th. And guys, as always, there's a fee for this episode, right? I don't charge a monetary fee, but I ask you guys every week to do a fee. Uh, It's usually a task. It's some homework, whatever. And again, I'm going to do the same thing we did last week. This week, guys, I want you to go over to Spotify. Spotify. Make sure that you uh, follow us there. Make sure you like every episode. You download. You play. All that stuff that helps us out tremendously. Trying to build over the build up the profile over there on Spotify. Okay, if you guys are interested in MOB T-shirts like the one I'm wearing right here, boom, uh, we still have a few of these left, a few of these black ones. Eventually, we're going to order some uh, some different colors and stuff like that. Once we get things a little more settled here in Atlanta, you guys know I'm in the process of renovating. But that's a dead horse I've beaten the hell out of. I won't go into too much detail here. Although, we just finished putting the floors downstairs today. I'm super excited about it. Uh, but anyway, yes. So, if you're interested in the tea, MonteroOnBoxing at gmail.com. And guys, we do it through PayPal. You can search for my name there on PayPal and pay that way. doesn't matter what corner of the earth you are at. We can get a t-shirt to you, okay? And then last but not least, we are on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Unboxing. Anything you guys can do to ch- uh, tip the show. And let me know if you guys would be interested in me doing a, a I think it's called Super Chat here on uh, TNC now that we're live on YouTube. That might be another way some of you guys who uh, aren't comfortable with Patreon, I totally understand why they're a little bit compromised. If you'd like to you know, contribute through Super Chat or anything like that uh, here uh, live on TNC. Okay, let's get into some real quick news. So Manny Pacquiao, Keith Thurman, Pacquiao and Thurman. It is official MGM Grand in Las Vegas, like I told you guys. Uh, July 20th, Fox pay-per-view. So look, interesting matchup. It is uh, old versus new. And this is a way for PBC, who is really, really, I'm not going to say dip their toes in the pay-per-view market this year. They just dove in the damn ocean with the pay-per-views, okay? Uh, This is a way to introduce Keith Thurman to the pay-per-view market and uh, build that up to use Manny Pacquiao's name to help build it up. He's an early, uh, Thurman is an early favorite with uh, the Vegas bookies. And, and that surprises some people. It doesn't surprise me at all. Youth versus age. Look, man, I know Keith Thurman's been inactive. I know he hasn't seemed very interested in boxing. I feel like I've said this the last few shows. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I just think that you have to favor him because of the age. The last fight he was in, there was ring rust. Didn't look great. Granted, I, I hear you. But if he's focused at 100% against this version of Manny Pacquiao, I still favor one time. But we'll see. My opinion might change 
a couple months from now. Okay, so some ratings news. The great fight and the leading candidate so far for fight of the year between Julian J. Rock Williams, the new junior middleweight champion, and uh, Jarrett Hurd peaked at over 2.1 million viewers on Fox. Not Fox pay-per-view, not Showtime, Fox, regular Fox. So over 2 million people tuned in to watch two guys who are not at all stars, right? Outside of boxing diehards, nobody knows who the hell these two guys are. But they are from two uh, East Coast markets and uh, pretty, pretty fairly large East Coast markets. I think that helped push things. And over 2 million people watched a great fight. There was no talk of getting a body. There was no talk of, you know, making someone, an opponent a cripple. It was just two guys classy as ever before, during, and after the fight. And I'm so glad that they did over 2 million views. I think that's good for them. And obviously, if they do a rematch, it's going to be even bigger, right? And they should do a rematch. So that whole card averaged 1.4 million views. Uh, when you consider that that's on Fox, it's not the greatest view, you know, it, it's not the greatest ratings number in the world. But I'm still glad 2.1 million watched that great fight because that kind of fight is what builds fans. Okay, so um, I talked about Pacquiao Thurman, that's pay-per-view. Guys, they're talking about late in the summer, Garcia versus Garcia. Danny Garcia, Mikey Garcia. And that is very possibly going to also be a pay-per-view. So it, that's not confirmed yet or anything like that. But then we also have Wilder Ortiz 2. That's likely coming later this year. That might go pay-per-view. So PBC, like they can't put all these on pay-per-view, but there's probably going to be at least one more after Pacquiao Thurman. And I'm trying to add up. Is that four or five this year? If you include uh, Wilder Fury, that was at the very end of last year, that's like five within a year, within a calendar year, 12 months. That's crazy. That's a lot of money that they're asking you guys for. Speaking of PBC, there's rumors that PBC, uh, Al Heyman's trying to sell the company. And there's been rumors that possibly Endeavor, who I think owns uh, UFC, MMA, possibly might pick up uh, PBC. I don't know, guys. I, I really, I don't have any inside scoop. I do know, apparently, from my sources, from people that I have asked, uh, Al Heyman is legitimately shopping around. He actually is shopping around and seeing what's out there. I don't know what it means. I don't know if it's good, if it's bad. Uh, I don't know who would want to buy PBC because, I mean, there's just a lack of business plan there. So it would depend on the deal that they're structuring. I don't know anything about it. But apparently, yes, he is shopping around. So, um, okay, let's get to some quick questions. That's pretty much it with news and notes. Not a whole lot going on. Right. Um, Tommy Boseo is on the chat. What's up, brother? He asks, what are your thoughts on Gary Russell Jr. becoming a free agent? Yeah, I saw that where apparently um, he's not with Uncle Al anymore. I think the contract is up. And I think, um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that he's frustrated and he was talking to Uncle Al uh, after his, his win over Kiko Martinez, which was, you know, why the hell is that fight sanctioned? More about that later. But, um, you know, he had, a, he had wrote something on his back, on the back of a shirt that said, I want Leo Santa Cruz, get on at Uncle Al, you know, something like that. That was his way of saying, look, man, I'm going to go shop around if you don't make the fights. Um, 
you know, I, I've been very critical of Gary Russell Jr. I have. He's only fought once a year for the last five years, I believe. It seems, at least if you go by what he's saying and you believe him, at, take him at his word, that he wants to fight more. And it's really been an embarrassment of riches for PBC at featherweight. They've had all the featherweights. They just don't fight each other. And, you know, look, I, I think I told you guys this, but when I was in Dallas what, for uh, covering Spence Garcia for Ring, uh, I bumped into Leo Santa Cruz and one of his sons, of, of all places, in one of the locker room bathrooms downstairs in the, in the bowels of uh, Jerry World. And I asked Leo straight up, like, hey, what's up with Gary Russell Jr.? And he told me, this is what he told me, we want the fight, Gary Russell Jr. doesn't want the fight. Well, now you got Gary Russell Jr. saying Leo Santa Cruz doesn't want the fight. You got to look at both of their track records. It's hard to say. The best opponent Leo Santa Cruz has ever fought is Carl Frampton. And he never, he never gave Frampton the, um, he never gave Frampton the, uh, the rubber match. So I don't know why uh, we should assume that Leo wants Gary Russell Jr. I, I just don't know. Uh, Gary Russell Jr., on the other hand, you know, he's only fought Vasily Lomachenko. And that was at a time when Lomachenko had lost to Orlando Salido and looked like he was ripe for the taking. So neither one of these guys has really fought elite-level opposition. I don't know who the hell to believe. Um, but if Gary Russell Jr. is a free agent and he gets picked up by the zone that's been rumored, I'd welcome it. And I'd hope that he'd start fighting real fighters because he's probably the best featherweight in the world he really probably is let's see man we got a bunch of you guys on the chat thank you so much for tuning in uh let me see here jack alter asks billy joe saunders versus the champs at 168 um man at 168 so billy joe saunders won a title a wbo super middleweight title we'll talk more about that in a minute this weekend that was an absolutely atrocious title fight from the wbo i can't even remember the guy that he fought because he was so terrible uh, the WBO should be ashamed of themselves. But WBO is in business with Bob Arum and Top Rank, but they also do a lot of business with Frank Warren and Queensberry Promotions. So uh, they work with those guys a lot, and it is what it is. And Billy Joe Saunders, of course, is repped by Frank Warren, and he has an association with Bob Arum and Top Rank. So um, EBT Rotor Sports, I made it. Hey, thanks for joining in, brother. Thank you so much for all you guys watching. Um, Okay, so uh, Billy Joe Saunders versus all the champs at 168. Dude, I, I think it's just much too soon to tell. How, how do you know? How do you know how he's going to look? He fought once at 168, and it was against a complete journeyman. A complete journeyman. And that's not to put down Billy Joe Saunders' opponent, but that's the, that's the real, you know? A lot of people, Billy Joe Saunders fans kind of crack me up because this dude has one signature fight. One. And that was against David Lemieux. And yes, he won that fight big. It was a big win for him. But that's not the David Lemieux that Gennady Golovkin fought, that Golovkin softened up, the guy who's missed weight a couple times in recent years. Uh, Gennady Golovkin beat the brakes off David Lemieux, systematically beat him down, bladed him up, and knocked him out. Billy Joe Saunders outboxed the hell out of him for 12 rounds. Great. But if that's your claim to fame, dude, if that's your one signature moment in your career, I'm sorry, I can't look at you as an elite-level fighter. You know what I'm saying? He's just not. He hasn't proved it. He has the talent, hasn't proved it. So I kind of just, I still don't care about Billy Joe Saunders. He would be a welcome addition to the division as long as he fights the top guys. We'll see what happens. 
Uh, let's see. Trini Cervantes says, people put a like to help Mike out. Thank you, Trini. And he's right. Guys, like the damn video. If you're watching, I should have just as many likes on this video as I see people watching. And right now, I can tell because I'm looking at it up here on the screen. It's not. It's maybe a third. So, anyway, get to it. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, a couple more questions here. Uh, Joel O says, by fight week, Pack versus Thurman odds will be a lot closer. Oh, yeah. The, the money from East Asia will come in uh, the week of the fight. The whales will come into town, and that's going to change the odds. And it wouldn't surprise me if Pac gets slightly favored. But these odds makers know what they're doing, okay? And there's a reason they have Thurman uh, as the favorite right now. And, and I agree with them. I still favor Thurman, at least at this point. Uh, let's see. Carlos asks, how do I see Inoue versus Neri potential fight? Dude, that might be the best matchup pound for pound that could be made in boxing right now. And that's saying something. Maybe it's not quite Spence and uh, Crawford, but it's right there. I mean, it's, it's right there, just under it. Uh, right now, dude, I'd have to favor Inoue. We'll talk more about Inoue in a minute. Dude, he is legit. What he did this weekend is the performance of 2019 so far. Amazing performance. I was really going under the radar with too many here in the United States. Robert Palmer says, PBC viewership with 18 to 49 sucks though. Uh, I don't know if it sucks. I know that some of the, sometimes they do very good ratings in, in that demographic, certainly better ratings in that demographic than some of the other promoters like Top Rank. I feel like a lot of Top Rank's uh, viewership is in older demographics. PBC does tend to market and do some of their fighters do well with younger demographics. So it just depends, uh, you know, how they're shopping PBC and, you know, are, is it the whole thing? Is it the whole entity? Is it a piece of the, one deal that, you know, they have a deal with Showtime, they have a deal with Fox. How does it look? Is it all the fighters, some of the fighters? Is it options? Who the hell knows, man? Jacob Roberts asks, what do you think about Harry Greb? I've just finished the Fearless Harry Greb by Bill Paxson. Harry Greb, one of the best top 10 pound for pound boxers ever. Ever. I think I, I tweeted something a few years back when some of Floyd's fans were going nuts that he was, I think at the time, 48 and 0 or something. And I can't remember the year, but there was a year where Greb had at least 40, it might have been 40 to 50 fights in a year, in a calendar year. And I just posted, I remember posting a picture of him and saying, you think Floyd Mayweather's impressive? This dude went, and I don't remember the number, guys. It was 40-something and oh in a calendar year. Just to put things in perspective. One of the best fighters ever. Let's see here. John asks, what was worse? Virgil Hunter's job with Brazil or Rodriguez's trainer adding fuel to the fire by attempting to pull intimidation tactics on Inouye and his father? Guys, what he's referring to is, um, I think it was at the final workout, the final public workout for the uh, Inouye-Rodriguez fight, um, Rodriguez's trainer and dad pushed, or no, Rodriguez's trainer pushed Naoya Inouye's dad. And Inouye, Naoya Inouye was pissed. And he took it out on Emmanuel's ass. That was a bad move. But I gotta say, Virgil Hunter, has a horrible track record outside of Andre Ward. Look at Virgil Hunter's track record in boxing. 
Now, I wasn't expecting him to pull a miracle by picking up Dominic Brazil, but he could have at least taught Dominic Brazil to keep your freaking hands up and expect Wilder to come out guns blaze in the first three or four rounds, shell up, take those shots, and start slowly trying to work your way into the fight. But dude had his chin out, hands down, and was trying to throw a lead left hook on a guy who has the best right hand right now in the heavyweight division. That is a fundamental no-no that they would teach 10-year-old kids in the amateurs not to do. That's an amateurish move. Virgil Hunter could have at least had Dominic Brazil strategize and work on that. So I, I got to say, worst performance of the weekend, Virgil Hunter. Absolutely. Mike Caps asks, do I think Wilder can fight two more times this year? He only took one shot against Brazil. I don't think so. I think that uh, Dominic, or I'm sorry, uh, Deontay Wilder is going to fight once more this year against Luis Ortiz at some point in the fall. And then he's going to fight early next spring against Adam Kovnaki. The, uh, the Polish fighter. And that is, by the way, why Kavnaki and Ortiz both turned down much more lucrative offers to face uh, Anthony Joshua. It's because Uncle Al advised them, I'm doing air quotes, to uh, not take that fight. And when you sign a contract with Uncle Al, your ass is his. And if he don't want you to go fight across the street, your ass ain't crossing the street. That's what's up there. Robert Palmer says, Aram to buy PBC like McMahon bought WCW. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, if something like that happened, oh my God. Could you imagine? I don't think Bob, well, Grandpa Bob probably has enough money to make that happen. But even if Grandpa Bob offered not half a, half a billion that, that Uncle L already got, if he offered him a full billion, I don't think Uncle L would take Aram's money. He thinks Aram's money is dirty. So, all right, Joel O asks, if Heyman sells the PBC, do you think the new owner will match PBC fighters with fighters from top rank, Matchroom, Golden Boy, et cetera? Dude, it all comes down to who buys them. It all comes down to who buys PBC and how the deal is structured. Unfortunately, because Al Heyman lives kind of in the gray, shadowy depths of the boxing never world, nether regions, uh, we don't know how all these different deals are structured with Deontay Wilder, who apparently is a promotional free agent. Gary Russell, who apparently is a promotional free agent. And all these other fighters who are actually tied to certain promoters, but advised by Uncle Al. It's all over the damn place. So it really depends on who buys PBC and how the deal is structured. But I, I don't know, dude. It, you know, It's not going to be a rival boxing promoter. If it's some big multi you know, I don't know what the right word is, multi-conglomerate or whatever, corporation that buys PBC, maybe. But then again, they'd probably try to make PBC to boxing what uh, UFC is to MMA. That's probably what they'd try to do with it. That's certainly what I think Endeavor would try to do with it. Okay, so let's get uh, quick to the review, guys, and then we'll get back to some uh, questions it's crucial did ask, do you think it's time for Wilder versus Joshua? No, that fight ain't happening until 2021. You're going to get the Wilder Fury rematch late 2020. Joshua Wilder, and they will fight at least twice, maybe both times in 2021, depending on how the first one plays out. All right, 
So last week, uh, Friday, May 17th, Belfast, Northern Ireland, there was a card on ESPN+. Ryan Burnett uh, had a successful comeback from his loss against Nonito Donaire last year, that, that injury he had, uh, got a TKO 6 win. Saturday, May 18th, in Hertfordshire, UK, uh, Frank Warren card on ESPN+, where we saw Billy Joe Saunders uh, beat German-Serb Shafat Isufi with a dog shit resume. Actually, I don't want to... I don't want to put down dog shit. Actually, dog shit is much better than this guy's resume. Uh, anyway, Saunders wins a unanimous decision. He got stunned, I think, in the sixth round. Other than that, it was just him boxing circles around this guy. Wins the Vega WBO 168-pound title. What an absolute shame. Also on that card, uh, Joe Joyce. All six foot six of them. TKO three win over Alexander Ustinov. All six foot seven of him. Guys, I saw highlights of this fight. I did not watch it. Holy shit. I thought I was watching slow motion. It was not slow motion, okay? I, I, I'm not the fastest dude on earth, but I am. I, I look like Pernell Whitaker next to those two. Like, holy shit, those guys are slow. So Joe Joyce stays undefeated, but he's just being built up and set up as his O is going. And, and if I'm uh, Frank Warren, who now is a piece of Joyce, a piece of Danny Dubois and Nathan Gorman. Danny Dubois and Nathan Gorman are going to fight. The winner of that fight, I feel, will probably be Dubois. At some point, set up Dubois versus Joyce. That's another O. And that's a UK, you know, fight over. That's a big UK fight over there, just like uh, Dubois-Gorman is. And I think that that's going to help build Dubois' profile over there. I really do, because I think he would absolutely flatten Joe Joyce. So far, Joe Joyce could take a punch. But Jesus Christ, he makes Dominic Brazil look fluid. Also Saturday, May 18th at the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland. Best doubleheader of the year so far, at least on paper. Played out a little more one-sided than I predicted. You guys know, I predicted. I thought both of these fights would be tough. So uh, Josh Taylor, unanimous decision in 12 rounds over Ivan Branchek, takes his IBF 140-pound title. Scores were 115-111 twice, 117-109. Uh, he scored two knockdowns. Or I'm sorry, one knockdown. He knocked down in the sixth. And uh, Taylor came in a little heavy, I think an ounce or two over, made weight on a second attempt. And I wondered, you know, um, is this going to affect his performance in the fight? Maybe it did a tad bit. I don't know. But he looked pretty damn good to me. Uh, Baranchek did get in some good body work and I think showed a little bit of the blueprint for Regis. It was two knockdowns. Okay, Vlad says it was two knockdowns. I thought so. I here in my notes, it just says one knockdown, but I'm pretty sure it was two. So, yeah, he, he knocks down Baranchek twice. Uh, good performance by Taylor, but he showed some chinks in his armor, in my opinion. And I think that, you know, Regis Progray was ringside. It was both in the sixth, Vlad. Okay, Vlad says both in the sixth round. Okay. Um, so there were some uh, chinks in the armor. And I think that, you know, Taylor's so much taller than Progray. If I was managing Progray, if I was his trainer... I would tell him, when we fight Josh Taylor later this year, it's probably going to be in the UK because that's where the money's going to be. Don't throw a headshot for the first three rounds. Body, body, body. Beat this kid up to the body who's not going to be at 140 for a whole lot longer. I think Progray will be at 140 much longer than Taylor will. Uh, beat up that body, and then about the fourth round or so, start working upstairs. Start at the body, go upstairs. Slow him down because Taylor wants to use movement and everything, right? The more and more I'm thinking about that matchup, I like Progray 
to beat Josh Taylor. And I know early odds makers have Taylor winning that fight. But I'm telling you, there's something to Progre. If he fights the right game plan, it doesn't go for an early knockout. Goes for 12 hard rounds and starts with body work. I think he wins that damn fight. Uh, also on this card, the monster, Nayoya Inoue. Scores a KO2 win over Emmanuel Rodriguez. Takes his IBF Bantamweight title. Three knockdowns. Was it three knockdowns in the second round? I only remember two knockdowns. My notes are all over the place on this card. Uh, I was putting in floors all weekend, guys. Uh, forgive me. But I, do, I remember two knockdowns specifically in the second round. Uh, he clipped. You know what? Alexander says two knockdowns. Okay, I thought so. So um, he clipped uh, uh, Rodriguez with a left hook. Dropped him. Rodriguez got up. And then Gail says three knockdowns. Vlad says three knockdowns. Okay, my notes were actually correct. Three knockdowns. I only remember two, though. I remember uh, the, the knockdown from a left hook. I remember Rodriguez getting up. And I remember a great body shot, intelligent body shot from Inoue that put Rodriguez down. He said, no more. I want no more. All right, you guys are all saying three knockdowns. Okay, all right. I just don't remember the other ones. I was so impressed with those two knockdowns because you, not, you, you knock a guy down to the head with a counter hook during an exchange, right? Then when he gets up, he's shelling up upstairs. You go hard to the body and drop him again. And it was the body shot that ended the damn fight. I thought that was really impressive. And it showed that Inouye isn't just a banger who's just going out there trying to get dudes out of there. He's thinking because it was so smart. As soon as Rodriguez got up, go right to the body. That was so intelligent, and it worked, and it ended the damn fight. So uh, that was a big deal, man. I thought that was uh, just a very impressive performance. I thought this was going to be the hardest fight of Inouye's career. That's what I told everybody. I mean, for, for Boxing Monthly, uh, for the website, they wanted to get all of our predictions, all the writers at Boxing Monthly. We gave our predictions, and I said, look, this is going to be the hardest fight of Inouye's career. Holy shit, was I wrong. He blew through this guy. Now, if you watch the first round of that fight, it looked like it was going to be the hardest fight of his career because Rodriguez actually did some good work. He landed a couple shots on in a way. He was competitive. It was a close opening round where both men did some good work. But in the second round, in a way, took it to another gear and Rodriguez didn't. That was Rodriguez. Rodriguez showed you his, his top gear in that first round. In a way, has another. And he probably has several more gears. So uh, this, this guy is improving with each damn fight. And he fights with so much confidence uh, I just and, and passion. I love seeing that from a Japanese fighter, man. I told you guys last week, if Emmanuel Rodriguez could take Inoue's power, he'd be in this fight. And, you know, you saw that again in the first round. He couldn't take the power. The power was just too much. So uh, that was that. Barclays Center, Brooklyn. Uh, the card on Showtime, obviously a, a really shitty doubleheader. Highlight reel knockout, but when you compare this doubleheader to what they had at the zone, night and day. Gary Russell Jr. scores a TKO5 over Kiko Martinez in a completely pointless fight. But to Gary Russell Jr.'s credit, immediately after, he called out Leo Santa Cruz and even called out Miguel Burchelt at 130 pounds. Jim Gray, the guy at Showtime, asked him about Gervonta Davis, who he's gone after a little bit on social media. Javante Davis is connected through PBC, through, um, through Floyd Mayweather slash Uncle Al. So you'd think politically that'd be an easy fight to make. But for whatever reason, Gary Russell just has not gotten the other PBC fighters in and around 126, even 122, 130. 
He just never has gotten those guys in the ring. And I don't know what's up. I don't know if, for whatever reason, it, it just seems like he's being shut out from in that promotion. So he said, you know what, man? I'll fight Burchell. I'll go up to 130 and fight Burchell. So there's rumors he might go to the zone. If I were Gary Russell Jr. and I was trying to make some real money, I'd go to the zone. They're handing out money like it's nothing. Sign with Matchroom or somebody like that. You know, Eddie Hearn, the zone, and fight over there where you got guys like Burchell. There are guys at 26, at 30, he could fight. Now, there are guys also that top rank has at 130. One of the guys, uh, Jamel Herring. If he sh should he win, and we'll talk about his fight uh, in the preview section, should he win a title this weekend? That's an option for Gary Russell. But then over at um, at the zone, you know, you got Joseph Diaz Jr. You've got uh, Tevin Farmer. There's plenty of guys for him to fight. So I just I think there's more options over at the zone. That's where if I was managing him, that's where he should go. But uh, De Dom Deontay Wilder scores a KO one over Dominic Brazil, and uh, look. What can you say about this knockout, right? It, it was a highlight reel knockout. I've thought about this a lot. There are people making comparisons to Mike Tyson and there are people getting so excited. And on Twitter, I was like, what the hell, guys? He KO'd Dominic Brazil. Yes, it took Anthony Joshua six, seven rounds to beat Brazil, but it wasn't the same Brazil. Brazil has been worn down by that fight with Anthony Joshua and other fights where he's put down. I think Amir Mansour put him down. There was other guys who put him down. He's taken a lot of punishment. He's gotten beat up. He's been softened up. And even though he's been a durable guy, he's only been stopped once. He has been beat up and dropped in multiple fights. And Wilder landed a flush, perfect right hand that would have dropped anybody, especially in the first round when you're still kind of cold and you're not quite warmed up yet. So I'll give Wilder credit. Blinded him with a good left jab and threw the right hand from range. He wasn't bunched up where his elbow is bent and he, you know, uh, he uh, cut off his power. He was on the outside, right? Threw it the right way. Good shot. Okay. But this is not the Dominic Brazil that Anthony Joshua beat. I think in what is, how the 19th pro fight or something. This is Deontay Wilder's 40-something pro fight. So it... it you're comparing apples to oranges. But I keep thinking about this. Why are people so excited about this? And I thought about the typical American sports fan. Joe Sixpack. That's a term we have here in America to describe your everyday American who lives in middle America, right? That area between New York and Los Angeles, middle America. Joe Sixpack, who loves his NASCAR and his college football and his UFC, right? That guy. When they think of boxing, they think, they think of heavyweights and they think of knockouts. That's what they want. The last heavyweight that middle America gave a shit about was Mike Tyson. And that's why you're seeing these comparisons between Deontay Wilder and Mike Tyson. There are some parallels. And I could do a video kind of talking about the, the similarities and the stark differences. There, but there are some you guys are laughing at my Joe Sixpack. Isn't that a great term? I love it. Uh, but um, <laughs> there are some similarities between Wilder and, and Tyson. The more and more I've thought about this, I'm starting to understand it. Who he's marketing to, who he's getting excited. So I guess it's a good thing that 
they matched him with Brazil. He gets this highlight reel knockout, and it was on Sports Center. It was on uh, CNN mentioned boxing recently, which surprised the hell out of me. I saw, saw uh, something on CNN about Deontay Wilder. Like mainstream platforms that never talk about boxing were talking about it. It didn't matter that what Naoya Inoue did is light years more important and more impressive than Deontay Wilder. It, it, so much more, just every, everything about it was better. What mattered is De that Deontay Wilder is first American, second, a heavyweight, third, straight out of central casting for what the American sports media and the entertainment complex in Hollywood envisions and desires and fantasizes about with a heavyweight boxer. And this is where I'll get the tag controversial. They want to see a big, trash-talking black guy talking about killing people, speaking with slang, and drilling dudes. That makes guys like Max Kellerman come. That's what they want to see. So he is providing that. For better or worse, he, Deontay Wilder, is bringing that sort of attention to the sport because he fits that mold. And now I'm starting to understand it and pick up on it. And that's why you're seeing comparisons to Mike Tyson. It makes no damn sense, you know, but I, I get it. Much like Mike Tyson, Deontay Wilder built up his resume, knocking out a bunch of cans. That, that matches, but uh, that's about it. Anyway, guys, okay, that's it for the review. Let me get to some more of your questions here. Um, e. Riles asked, uh, what do I think about Wilder versus Kavnaki? Uh, what are your thoughts on that fight? It seemed like the, the poll is being overlooked by everyone. Look, I, I think that the Polish kid has some good hand speed. He's a tough guy, but he's undersized. He reminds me of an Andy Lee or Andy Lee, uh, Andy Ruiz type. He, he kind of has that type of build, that type of fighting style. Not exactly, but similar. And they look like they could be cousins. Let's be honest. Adam Kanaki and Andy Ruiz look like they could be related. So I just see a guy that's going to get off some flashy combinations early on, survive. They'll absolutely do that fight at Barclays where he will bring some Polish fans. But uh, and that, that one won't be on, um, on pay-per-view. I think the fight against the Polish kid will be on regular Fox or Showtime or something. But um, I, I just don't see him going the distance. I don't. I think Wilder is going to chop him down and knock him out. Let's see. Uh, whoa. Man, when this thing updates, boy, you guys are really chatting in here, man. This thing skipped way far. Okay, Paul asks, do you think if Inoue wins the tournament, World Boxing Super Series tournament, he will fight in the States and start making a big name for himself over here? I do think at some point, if he fights Lewis Neri, that fight's happening in the United States. Uh, it makes too much sense. Look, Inoue's already fought in Los Angeles, right? So him, the LA has proximity to Japan, right? Pacific, you know, uh, Pacific Ocean separates them. I know it's a big body of water, but uh, of all the big markets in America, you know, LA is the big West Coast market, has proximity to Japan, also obviously a major Mexican population. So it would make too much sense for Inoue and Neri to fight in Los Angeles. I think that's where that fight would happen. I certainly think Inoue, he'll fight anybody. I don't think he's scared of anybody, dude. He might be the most confident fighter in the world right now. So yes, if he wins the tournament, and I think he will, and again, there's rumors 
not, not you know, uh, confirmed yet, but they're talking about possibly the finale between Inoue and, and uh, Donaire taking place in the Los Angeles area. I think that makes a lot of sense. Japanese guy and especially a Filipino guy fighting in LA, you know, man, that's, that's an easy fight to market. It really, really is. And it builds up the future fight should he win between Inoue and Neri in LA. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, E-Man East says, Pac Broner, Fury Wilder, Spence Mikey, Pac Thurman, Danny Mikey, Wilder Ortiz 2, Spence Porter. That's seven pay-per-views this year by PBC. Yeah, I, look, they can't make all those pay-per-view. I, I think Danny Mikey will be because Mikey, he's a businessman. Uh, Wilder Ortiz likely will be. Spence Porter might go to free TV. I've heard that it might go, like they've talked about pay-per-view, but man, that's just too many. Man, that'd be too many. Jack Alter asks, who do you think wins Wilder versus Joshua after seeing the first round destruction of Brazil? Look, the first round destruction of Brazil has nothing to do with the eventual Wilder-Joshua fight. Guys, what we're starting to see develop here, and again, if you want me to do a video getting into more detail about this, I will. We're starting to see the dynamic that we saw back in the late 80s uh, building between Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. That type of dynamic is building right now with Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is playing the part of Mike Tyson. Knocking everyone out, mean, talks all kinds of trash, looks like a tough guy, doesn't really come from a tough background, didn't grow up at all like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson came from a seriously tough background, real tough street guy. Wilder puts on an act. He's acting. He's just being a hip-hop actor. He's not really from that kind of background, but he looks that part, and that fools the casual fan and Joe Sixpack. So he's playing the part of Tyson. Meanwhile, Anthony Joshua is fighting fundamentally. For better or worse, he set up that knockout of, of Dominic Brazil, much the way Vladimir Klitschko would have, much the way Lennox Lewis would have, much the way Evander Holyfield would have. Fundamentals right? And I'm telling you, when the fight finally happens, Anthony Joshua, more fundamentally sound boxer, is probably going to dominate Deontay Wilder in spots. In the first fight, you can't dominate him too much because they want to do a rematch. But it's going to look, there's, there's a parallel dynamic here to the Tyson Holyfield thing happening with Wilder Joshua. And again, if you guys want to see a video on that, let me know and I will uh, get to it. Let's see, uh, more questions, more questions. Wow, Dugliev asks, what does the future hold for Adrian Broner? I don't think it's going to end well for Adrian Broner. I've been saying that for a long time. There was a social media post recently. I don't know if it was on his Instagram, his Twitter, or whatever. It said, um, I don't want to live anymore. So take what you will from that. I think the dude is gonna have some issues. That's just... Yeah, he's going to have some issues. Okay, let's see. Um, <laughs> I'm just laughing at some of these comments. You guys are awesome, man. <clears throat> Jack Alter says, everyone liked the video for my main man, Mike. Yes, everyone liked the damn video. Joel Ole asks, what did I think about Jim Gray telling Wilder, we don't want to see you guys, see you fight guys like Brazil right in front of Brazil. That wasn't right but it wasn't wrong. Okay, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot, of the, a lot of guys got really, really pissed off at that. So for those of you who don't know exactly what Joel is referring to, 
Uh, right after the fight, Jim Gray, who works for Showtime, and I think does a good job getting in fighters' asses, asking them real questions, not the softball bullshit we get over at the Zone and ESPN. He really gets in fighters' asses, and I like that. He's the best guy, I think, right now, that Showtime crew. Uh, at least the best guy in all of boxing right now, the American networks, when it comes to interviewing fighters. Because everyone else just throws softballs. But Jim Gray said, look, with all due respect, Deontay and Dominic, you know, people don't want to see you fight Brazil. They don't want to see you fight Ortiz. They want to see you fight Fury. They want to see you fight Dillian White. They want to see you fight Anthony Joshua. And I guess Dominic Brazil got really pissed off about that. And I guess even Virgil Hunter got a little pissed off by that. Could Jim Gray have worded it better? Yes. He could have worded it better. Guys, it's live. It's in the moment. You can't always uh, have perfect wording live in the moment, as you see witnessed by me stuttering all over myself here. So I give Jim Gray credit for expressing what 99%, at least with diehard boxing fans and legitimate diehard boxing media, not PBC fanboys on the take like some other guys out there that always sing Wilder's praises no matter what, he could beat up an elderly woman. He, he could like be that chick that threw that dude off the subway and killed him. And there are some guys in the media that would praise Deontay Wilder. But, but Jim Gray asked or brought up what most of us were thinking. And I give Jim Gray credit for that. Could he have worded it better? Yes. Could have worded it better. And I understand why Dominic Brazil was pissed. But I still think Dominic Brazil, if he really was pissed, I know my personality. If I were Dominic, if I was in the ring and Jim Gray said something like that about me, when it was my turn to interview Jim Gray, I'd be like, hey, listen, man, my record is blah, 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 blah. I've beaten this fighter, that fighter to earn this spot. You know, I understand that I'm not Anthony Joshua, but I went out here and put it all on the line and you shouldn't disrespect me like that. That's what Dominic Brazil should have did. So it's not just on Jim Gray. It's also on Brazil. But, you know, Brazil didn't do anything wrong, okay? Uh, Gray, I like what he expressed. He just could have did it in a more friendly way. But hey, man, I mean, I've, you know, I've done it a million times myself. You know, I look back and I'm like, eh, I could have handled this better. Some of my criticisms of Andre Ward, uh, the way I went about it, if I could go back, I would reword some things. I'd reword some things I said in videos and interviews and stuff. I, I would, um, I just would have done it differently. You learn, you live and you learn. Um, the Kism says, in a way, it has to be pound for pound number one. Let me talk about this briefly before I get to the preview. Not a whole lot to preview. So we're going to have a lot of chat here today, guys. Um, but the ring ratings panel, you guys know I sit on the ring ratings panel and the boxing monthly ratings panel. And uh, the ring ratings panel, we talk every weekend, all of us. And there's, there's quite a few of us on the panel and from, from all over the place. And uh, different ages, different backgrounds, which is good. But we talked about where should Inouye be placed. And there were people on the panel who said Inouye should be number one. Th this performance was amazing. And brought up examples of um, Canelo just beating Jacobs, who a lot of people saw as the third best middleweight. It took him 12-round distance. Meanwhile, Inouye just fought who many people feel is the third best uh, bantamweight and obliterated him. So by comparison, he was like, well, well, look at this. You know, if we got Canelo number four, Inouye should be higher. Now, I wouldn't be against rating 
uh, in a way higher than Canelo. But I can't put him above Lomachenko and Crawford, who have both fought, especially Lomachenko. Lomachenko has fought much better opposition than Inoue, and Crawford has fought maybe not the best opposition, but he's uh, completely cleaned out a division. That's something Inoue hasn't done yet. Inoue is on his way to doing that, but I just can't put him on that level quite yet. He's just not yet that proven. Even Oleksandr Usyk, Oleksandr Usyk completely outclassed, outclassed the second best cruiserweight in the world. Maybe in, in Murak Gassiev, maybe Gassiev's number three. Maybe he's the third best. Okay, so instead of just knocking him out in the first round or two like, like Inoue does, he outclassed him over 12 rounds, which to me as a boxing purist is more impressive. That's, I love knockouts. But when you see Lomachenko outclassed Gary Russell, he outclassed Guillermo Rigondeaux and made him quit. He made Nicholas Walters quit and outclassed him. He broke down and stopped a much bigger Jorge Linares. Like he has done so much more than Inoue. It might not be as exciting. He might not get these big knockouts. Same thing with Terrence Crawford. Same thing with Oleksandr Usyk. But they've done more. And don't forget, Oleksandr Usyk, Vasily Lomachenko, what they did in the amateurs matters too. So I just can't put Inouye that high yet. He's on his way. If he destroys Nonito Donaire and then fights Lewis Neri and destroys him, yeah, he's probably pound for pound number one at that point, no less than number two. But we can't jump the gun, guys. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. But the highest I could put Inouye right now is number four, just above Canelo. Okay, quick preview. We got a few cards this week. None of them are very good. So I'm going to just plow through these. Thursday, May 23rd, there is a Roy Jones Jr. promotions card on UFC Fight Pass from Tucson, Arizona. Uh, actually, we have Sunday boxing. Before I get to the stuff Saturday, let me just mention Sunday over in Fuzhou, China. Zhu uh, Khan is fighting Shun Kubo for the WBA featherweight title. And uh, Carlos... Canizales is fighting Sho Kimura for the WBA Junior Flyweight title. Now, Saturday, May 25th, Kissimmee, Florida, top rank on ESPN. Masayuki Ito fighting Jamel Herring. This is the second defense of Ito's 130-pound title. Uh, Ito won the title last year on a top rank card, coincidentally also in Kissimmee, Florida. He upset the apple cart. He was not supposed to win that fight. Top rank wants that belt back. It's a WBO belt. Top rank pretty much owns the WBO. So this is a way for them to try to pull that title back where they feel it belongs, in their possession. So they're trying to get it back here. Herring, um, if this goes to the cards, I like Herring to win a decision. Biloxi, Mississippi, PBC on Fox Sports 1. Austin Trout, who has lost three of his last four fights, going up against Terrell Goucher, who only had one fight in 2018. So if you're bored as shit, you want to watch some fights, this is the very de definition of a crossroads fight. And it, you know, it, it should be interesting. Oxon Hill, Maryland, uh, matchroom on the zone. This is the card that we were supposed to see Alexander Usyk making his heavyweight debut, but he hurt himself. That fight's been um, uh, delayed. He's gonna fight probably in September, August, September in that time frame. But Devin Haney and Michael Hunter still on this card, featured in 10 round bouts. I gotta say, uh, of all the cards this weekend, oof. I mean, I like that top rank main event because I like Jermel Herring. 
good guy, Marine. You guys know I was in the Marine Corps, so I'm going to be pulling for him. I'm not supposed to pull for anybody on media, but just don't tell anyone I'm pulling for him. Um, also, though, I am interested to see Devin Haney and especially Michael Hunter on that DAZN card. I think, uh, but am I in any rush to watch that shit? Nah. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm no rush at all. Uh, but uh, I will get around to it because, you know, that's my job. Okay, back to the chat. And uh, that's it, man. Let's see. Um, ba -ba 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 -ba. Calvester asks, who is my favorite Mexican boxer right now or all time? I don't know. Uh, right now, pound for pound, Juan Francisco Estrada above Canelo. I love what Juan, Ron, Juan Francisco Estrada does. And, you know, he's been a guy who's been on my pound for pound list bubble for years. And um, what he just did against Rungvisai in that rematch proved he's in the top 10. And, uh, I, I, you know, definitely my favorite. All time that I've personally watched fight because all time, I mean, I could go back to guys before I was born, right? But guys that I've actually watched fight, Marco Antonio Barrera for me will always be the favorite that I've ever seen. Where he sealed that deal, of course, you, do, you, you have the trilogy with Morales and everything, amazing fights. But uh, Nassim Hamed, and I told you guys that story, right? I told everybody I knew Barrera is going to kill Hamed. Everyone's like, nah, man, Hamed, Hamed, Hamed. Okay, okay. He embarrassed and outclassed Hamed and pretty much sent him into retirement. I know Hamed came back and fought like once after that. He was never the same. Mentally, emotionally, physically. Look at his body now. Marco Antonio Barrera did that to him. So he'll always be my favorite. Barker Raider says Virgil Hunter is one of the most overrated trainers. Yup. <laughs> he just is. I got nothing against the guy, but he just is. Yeah, uh, Joel says the same thing. Hunter is the most overrated trainer ever. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. A couple of you guys think Inoue is pound for pound number one. He's just not there yet. He's just not there yet. Robert Palmer says PBC 30 for 30 in 10 years will be epic. You're damn right, Rob. There's going to be books written. Uh, yeah, 30 for 30, really depending on how this deal ends up with them, if somebody buys the company, that would be pretty epic. Let's see. Yawk uh, Pushkin says, if the zone were wise, they would just absorb the PBC and let Matchroom, Golden Boy, etc. bid for promotional rights of fighters, problem solved. It depends on the contracts, dude. It depends on the contracts and uh, how all that looks behind the scenes. We just don't know. We just don't know. So... Um, let's see here. <clears throat> Some of you guys still talking about the knockdowns in the fight. The NOA fight. Joe Sixpack, you guys love that comment. Okay. Let me update this chat here. Make sure I got all the latest and greatest. Mr. Wayno. One, two, three, one says, hey, Mike, I get the impression Taylor was holding something back. He fought like a guy who was saving the best for last. Bookies are sleeping on him, in my opinion. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Uh, maybe the weight cut didn't go quite as planned, and that did affect him. Maybe he was trying to reserve something uh, in case he needed gas in the tank late in the fight. I don't know. But 
I see a blueprint there for a prograde to win that fight. Chad Fletcher says, Mike, since you're for the D, are you a miserable Lions fan or what? Do you ever drink the Kool-Aid? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, I am a miserable Lions fan. Now, I get shit because I am a fan of several teams, but I will always root for Detroit over everyone, the Detroit Lions. And they always lose against everyone, so I'm always losing uh, with my football picks. But, yeah, man, I grew up being a Detroit Lions fan. Watching Barry Sanders was a privilege. And then I got to watch Megatron. And now Matthew Stafford, I think, is a very underappreciated, very good quarterback, something like a Phillip Rivers, where if he was just on a better team, he'd have, he'd have Super Bowls, right? Uh, but anyway, yeah, definitely a Lions fan. And by the way, for those of you in Detroit, uh, my birthday is next month. I will be in Detroit for a few days. I think from June 12th through 15th, something like, don't quote me on the date, but somewhere in there, like the second week of June, I'll be in Detroit. So I was thinking about maybe doing a meetup for my birthday. If any of you guys would be interested in that, please comment in the, uh, you know, drop a comment, not here in the chat, but in the actual YouTube video, drop a comment or tweet me, uh, message me on Facebook, whatever. Because, uh, yeah, I'll be up there for a few days. It's going to be my 40th, 4 40th birthday in my homeland. So I'd love to do a meetup with uh, any of my Detroit peeps. Uh, of course, I'll be hanging out with friends and family up there. So let me know, guys, any of you uh, watching this from the D, if you'd be interested in that. Okay, uh, let's see. What else we got here? Hmm. Mike, comment on the, Gail Falkenthal says, Mike, comment on the Twitter statement by Julian J. Rock Williams about demanding VADA testing of his opponents. Oh, that's a good one, Gail. Yes. So uh, those of you who are not on Twitter, uh, both Julian Williams and his trainer, Stephen Edwards, made posts saying, if you guys want to fight us for these belts, you mandatory must do 90 days or more VADA testing before the fight. That's it. Period. And again, both trainer and fighter tweeted this. I retweeted both because they're outstanding. Guys, I can't go into too much detail on the record, okay? But there is a cloud of shade cast over J-Rock's loss to, uh, to Charlo, to Jamal Charlo, going back a few years in LA. You guys know myself, Steve Kim, some others were hanging out with J-Rock and his team, Breadman Edwards, in their hotel room later that night, grabbing some dinner, grabbing some drinks. And that was one of those nights that, you know, there were some other people in the room, I don't wanna bring their names into it, but I became privy to some information going on behind the scenes that really changed my opinion and opened my eyes on a lot of things. And that's why I pushed for drug testing a lot. And, um, you know, some people have called me an opportunist for talking about drug testing when I did and everything. That's bullshit. I actually genuinely believe in it. And some of the things I heard that night and learned that night is part of the reason why. Long story short, you know, again, I, I just can't go on the record with some information. I just, I'm sorry, guys, I can't do it. But Julian J. Rock Williams, Stephen Breadband Edwards, they will always demand testing from here on out. As long as they have those titles, they'll demand it for every fight. Should they lose those titles, they will demand it for every big fight and title opportunity. That's the only way they're, they're uh, going into a big fight ever again after some of the lessons they learned the hard way. That's all I'm going to say about that. But that was awesome by J-Rock. And I hope other fighters and trainers 
uh, follow suit. I really, really hope so. Those guys are awesome, man. I'm a big fan of both of them. Good guys. And, you know, I, you know, I, I can say this. The night of that fight, I, I messaged Breadman. We've chatted before. and so I messaged him and just said, look, man, congratulations. I know everything that they've been through. And um, they had to be patient. And they had to deal with bullshit politics. And I, you know, I had to congratulate him. Just knowing some of the inside scoop, inside story of what's going on. Uh, made me appreciate what they accomplished against Jared Hurd that much more. And uh, yeah, so I ain't afraid to say it. I did. Tommy Boseo asks, what are my thoughts on the rumored PBC sale? Well, I kind of talked about that. Uh, yes, I, I do know for a fact that they, um, they are they're, they're shopping around. They're seeing what's out there and they're, you know, there's nothing confirmed, but they are shopping around. We'll see. There's always rumors with PBC and Al Heyman, because of the way they do business, it's all shadowy and stuff and just conspiracy theories. What do you believe? What don't you believe? I don't know. Right now, yes, they're entertaining selling PBC. I can, I can say that with confidence. Uh, will something come of it? How will it look? Guys, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, Hamed says, Wilder fanboys getting overexcited. Yeah, to a degree. But again... I mean, I don't know if you just jumped on. You know, I talked about this earlier in the episode. I think I'm starting to understand what Wilder brings. And there is a Tyson-esque, Ronda Rousey-esque quality to him, for better or worse. Now, we saw what happened to Tyson when he stepped up. We saw what happened to Ronda Rousey when we stepped up. I truthfully believe it's going to happen to Deontay. But right now, this ride is going to bring attention and money to the sport of boxing. So I understand why people are excited. Uh, Prime TV says, I'm from Detroit too. Go out to Birmingham, dog. You live in Birmingham? Are you Jewish? There's a lot of Jewish people in Birmingham. I'm just curious. Actually, one of my good, good friends, former pro fighter in, uh, in Detroit, lives in Birmingham. So I might be in that area. He calls it, I think he calls it the Beverly Hills of Detroit. <laughs> uh, JM Superstar says, just a quick point about J-Rock. Great performance against uh, Hurd. Great interview after the fight. And respect for his tweet letting fighters know they'll have to do Vada to fight him. Good star as a champ. I agree on all fronts, JM Superstar. Chad Fletcher says, awesome. I love the Lions too, bro. We are going to the Super Bowl. Ha <laughs> ha, shit. <laughs> I will say, I've never been to a Super Bowl. I think it's completely ridiculous to pay for tickets for something like that. If the Lions ever really went to the damn Super Bowl, though, I might make an exception. I might, like, charge it on my credit card and just go. Because I know it's only going to happen once in my freaking lifetime. They'll probably lose pretty bad, too, if they ever go. But it would be fun as hell. Sun Monkey Dong asked, do I know any Hmong boxers? Whew. No, I don't. Uh... Man, that's a good question. I'd have to research that. I don't. I truly, truly don't. Do you? That'd be interesting to know. Uh, let's see. Rock Loggins, I'm curious how he got the name Breadman. You're talking about Stephen Edwards. You know, I know the story. I've heard it. I forgot. It's from his childhood. Uh, the Kism Ask, White versus Rivas winner. Um, I'm going to go with White in that fight. I'm going to go with White. Jberg97 asks, is Inouye under Vada testing? 
I don't think so. That's something I will have to look into. But it is an interesting thing you bring up. Um, you know, at some point for, uh, in a way, that needs to come into play. And we need to see. We know his next opponent, Nonito Donaire, set the standard for clean sport in the sport of boxing. So we know he's clean. Uh, but in a way, I don't. I think he's in maybe in the WBC clean boxing program. I don't know. I guess you know what? I got a computer right here. I can look this shit up right now. Check this out. Let's look up Naoya Inoue, and let's pull up his record and see if he is in the clean boxing program. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Naoya Inoue is not. He's not in the clean boxing program. That's right because uh, he holds the IBF title. He's fought for WBA, WBO titles before. Never a WBC title. Has never held a BC title or anything like that. So he is doing no drug testing that I uh, that I know of. No, none, no extensive drug testing. So if I were Lewis Neri, who's had his own drug testing issues, uh, you know, any top fighter fighting, if I'm Nonito Donaire, I would ask that NOA do extra testing. Not that I'm accusing him of anything, but yeah, I would absolutely ask. I think all fighters should ask for that. Johnny Boy asks, uh, Prime Pacquiao versus Prime Chavez. Bro, that's tough. That's tough. We're talking, what, 135 pounds, I guess? Man, man, that's tough. Uh, we talking Vegas? We talking Texas? We're probably talking Chavez by decision. And even if it's a fight that Pacquiao looks really good in and is close, probably seeing Chavez win. I'm going to go Chavez decision. That's what I'm going uh, the Captain Hook Chronicles says, UFC sold for $4 billion. How much do you think PBC will sell for? I don't know. Look, it was a half billion dollar investment put up by Waddell and Reed, right? So have they built upon that? Is PBC and PBC's fighters, are they more popular and marketable and valuable now than they were back in 2015 when this thing started? I think the answer is yes. I think if you look at Deontay Wilder's profile, Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia, these guys are bigger brands now. Their fights bring in, generate more money, more revenue now than they did four years ago. Maybe that's what all these pay-per-views are about, just up in the dollars and so they can say, hey, here's the revenue we've generated. Uh, but is it worth a, more than a billion dollars? I don't think so. You know, but what the hell do I know about this kind of shit? I think whatever it sells for, it'll be a fraction of the UFC purchase, which, by the way, was a really foolish purchase. They're not doing very good financially on that deal. You want to talk about overpaying? Holy shit, did they overpay for UFC. E. Riles asks, what are your thoughts on people discounting jabs like they don't matter? and creating their own version of scoring where power punches are all that matters. I would say those people are probably casual fans. I'd say they're also probably people who have never boxed before. If you've done any boxing in your life, any, any sparring, any, I, I don't know, Jack, are you still in the chat? Because I know you're sparring right now. You're learning that process. How important is a freaking jab? It's about the most damn important thing you could learn. Antonio Matthews says, Wilder reported to get paid $20 million, somebody to a heavy profit loss to prove a point. Somebody took 
a heavy profit loss to prove a point, LOL. Yeah, Shelly Finkel. I, I don't know, you know, what the hell they're thinking. I think they're thinking long-term, the Fury rematch and the Joshua fight and rematch are going to make all that money back. That's how Heyman and those guys tend to load and stack their deals. It's like a home loan where the bank gets their money up front. You're not really paying off a whole lot on your loan up front. But towards the back end of the loan, that's where everything balloons. That's where you really start paying off your house, right? So uh, that's the way Heyman's deals tend to work out. I mean, that Showtime CBS deal with Mayweather, they didn't make any damn money. They made some money on the Canelo fight. But the other uh, four, four of the six fights Mayweather did with them, they took a bath. But they made so much money on the Pacquiao fight, it was fine. They made a ton of money on the deal overall. It just takes that one big fight. Let's see. Uh, Prime TV, yeah, Prime TV says uh, Birmingham is the Beverly Hills of Detroit. Elsie uh, asked, "Do I have any cool sparring stories you've seen or heard? A million of them, but uh, I could do a whole video on that." Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles, am I going to Hall of Fame weekend? No, I'll probably be working on my damn house. <laughs> I would like to get up for that week, uh, one of these times. Now that I'm on the East Coast, I think it would be so easy to do now. It's an hour and a half flight up there. I certainly want to do it one of these times. Just ain't happening this year. Let's see. Mr. Wayno asks, how highly do I rate Joe Calzaghe, Mike? Is he underrated or overrated? Depends who you're talking to. Some people have a visceral hatred for Joe Calzaghe. One of my good friends here, in the States, back in uh, California, hates Joe Calzaghe. And I can never understand why. Like, he just hates him. Always talks shit about him. So he, he hates the dude, and he clearly underrates him. But then there are people out there who think Joe Calzaghe is, you know, among the greats, like Harry Greb, who I, Greb, who I talked about earlier, Henry Armstrong, you know, the, Tony Canzanari. He's not. He's not anywhere near that level. But in terms of accomplishment... He is the most, he's the most accomplished super middleweight of all time. He's the only super middleweight I can think of that won all four titles. Not at the same time, because I think one was stripped or something, but he held all four titles at super middleweight before moving up to 175. And his win over Bernard Hopkins in his first fight, mind you, at 75, aged very well. So uh, certainly first ballot Hall of Famer and everything, but... Uh, do I put him up there among the all-time greats? No. Uh, Gaudi Box asks, have I seen the Pauli Malignaggi press conference? What are your thoughts on Pauli and the bare-knuckle boxing? I saw highlights of that. Apparently, Pauli Malignaggi, and he's fighting some guy I've never heard of, bare-knuckle boxing. I, honestly, I, I don't give a shit. I just, I'm just not big into all that. Uh, you know, maybe if they put on it. Look, if Pauli Malignaggi could make money fighting in regular boxing and get a huge payday here, he'd do it. He's in bare knuckle boxing because he, his boxing career in regular boxing is over. When you see boxers go over into wrestling or bare knuckle or MMA, it's because their boxing career is done. And that's where I see Paulie. So I'm not really that interested in it. Let's see. Um, Mr. Wayno, Mike, greatest amateur ever. Laszlo Papp, in my opinion. Hmm. Look, shout out to Lomachenko and Rigondeaux. 
Savon, Felix Savon, he might be. So I think uh, all those guys are in the mix. Flip a coin, man. All right. All right, Prime TV is talking about some Detroit spots. All right, dude. Yeah, message me. Let's, let's, let's do that. Uh, Gail Falkenthal. Ah, she looked up the Hmong question. Zhang, man, I know I'm butchering this name. Shazhong, 27 and 8. First Chinese ethnic Hmong to win a boxing world title. WBC minimum weight title from 2012 to 2014. I remember him. I remember that. His, uh, his last fight was a loss to knock out his last fight was a loss to knock out CP Freshmart in 2018. I remember that loss to knock out CP Freshmart. Remember seeing his name. Remember researching him. Remember finding out. Because, yeah, it's, it's on his wiki or something that he's the first Hmong uh, title holder. I remember that name. Damn good shit, Gail. That is why Gail is who she is. Gail knows her stuff, ladies and gentlemen. If you're not following Gail Falkenthal on uh, Twitter, make sure you do. She knows her shit. All right, guys. We've been going here for 70 minutes on a slow week on a day that literally half an hour before I started this episode, I was finishing up my wood floors downstairs. Uh, yeah. So I got an hour of good cardio in today. And then I went right to working on the floors. And then I came right up here to do this show. So, uh, yeah, you guys got chock full of show this week. So I hope that you um, hope you enjoyed it, guys. Episode 172 of TNC is in the books. I'll see you at the fights.